This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people are saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye-bye-bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5pm in the city at the close. The FTSE 100 firmer by a third of 1%, up 23 points across the continent. A nice tone for the Bulls as well, up by 8 tenths of 1% on the DAX. And in the United States, more all-time highs. We had 62 record highs through 2017 on the S&P 500. We've had two already in 2018, two trading days in to the brand new year. We're up another 11 points on the S&P 500. North to 2,700, up by four-tenths of 1%. The Dow up by 38 points, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq up by six-tenths of 1%. In the FX market, as I struggle to keep my voice, euro dollar at 120.31. A little bit weaker, down a quarter of 1%. It's a weaker euro story after five straight days of gains. And to wrap things up, in the bond market, treasury yields a little bit lower by two or three basis points as we wait for those Fed minutes at 2.438%. percent i catch my breath. Charlie Pellet, Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year I've to you, mate. I've you missed you, too. Pal? Welcome back. I, very well indeed. Yeah, no, I didn't. I had to work. Somebody's got to hold down the fort, so the guys <laughs> like you can take time I'm off. I'm sorry. That's why yeah, I That's all right, though. That was mean that's, I'm always me. that was mean. You're going to yeah. give us the news. Uh, a lot to go on. Good, Let good, us begin good. with the European Central Bank. It is heading for a two-year leadership overhaul that includes replacing President Mario Draghi. Five key posts will be vacated by the end of 2019. Politics will play a big role. Being a woman will be a plus, and appointing a government minister would break with tradition. Powerful winds flooding streets in France as winter storm Eleanor blows through Western Europe. A skier was killed in the French Alps when a tree fell on him, toppled by winds of up to 90 miles an hour. The winds also derailed a train in Germany, leaving 15 people injured and grounded flights in Switzerland. Some 200,000 people in France are without power. American manufacturing has wrapped up its best year since 2004. According to the ISM index, manufacturing expanded in December at the fastest pace in three months. That is the latest from the news desk. Jonathan Farrow, welcome back and back to you. So talk to me about your, your Christmas holiday. Talk to me about what you did on that single day. Well, I, I ended up I ended up working here and... Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, New Year. Let me tell you, you about New do, Year's. You didn't do that on December 25th, no, though. No, 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 no. But I offered just in case they needed somebody, but they didn't. But let me tell you about New Year's Eve. Tell you, me about uh, it. Have you ever had the situation, you go out to eat with a group of people, and you go to a moderately priced restaurant, 25 pounds an entree. Which, which is not moderately priced on New Year's Eve, but carry No, on. no, no. It was early yeah. in the evening. This was, you yeah. know, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. Oh, good for but you. one person, you go out with a group of 15 people, I had a half portion of pasta. Yeah. My wife had a salad. Yeah. Everybody else at the table, and there's, I think there's an economic theory to this as well. Everybody else at the table piles in with the wine, the appetizers, oh, the right. desserts, and then you, you got to split the bill. And right. it's just like Parliament in a sense that that you know it, it doesn't matter where the money is coming from because they figure you know nobody cares about spending because you, you you've ultimately got to split it you know yeah. x number uh, of ways. It's tough, especially uh, when you do the kind of job that we do and many of our listeners do as well. But when you can't 
drink in the week. It, you can't yeah, drink and, in the week. And I don't want to be the, the cheap blankety-blank speaking up on New Year's Eve. That, but b- bottom line is I get out of there and, you know, I'm paying yeah. close to 120 pounds for, you know, probably, uh, you know, 20 pounds worth of pasta. So what's the lesson? What are you going to do next time? Uh, I'm going to send my, I'm going to, I'm going to take the easy approach. I'm going to say, you know what, honey, you're going to have a better time with your friends than without me. So I'm going to send my wife out, let her deal with it. That way I'm not putting up the credit card and take care of everything. What about sending your wife out and telling her to to get very happy and drink uh, as much uh, as she'd like? uh, No, she doesn't drink. That's part of the problem, you know, but, but, but have you ever been in that situation where you want Plenty of times. It drives me insane. So, you know, there's got to be a high, there's got to be an app for that. I mean, I know there- I whiz through the numbers on the receipt and I very quickly start going crazy because I can see it. Because, you know, and it's, 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 you know, and, and I, well, I know an app. It's called Venmo, isn't it? And everyone starts sending each other money. Yeah, but, but that doesn't address the key issue of what the, what the, what the total. The key issue is select your friends and if they're greedy, ditch them. <laughs> Correct. And I think Bernie Sanders had the right idea. I, I read that he went out to, uh, uh, he, he, he went out for Chinese on New Year's Eve and uh, his, his total tab was something like uh, 20 pounds. Really? So yeah, that's the, uh, I, that's I the approach. I thought Bernie Sanders was the type that would go out, drink a lot of champagne and then make everyone else pay for it. Isn't that socialism? Where you that's, consume, but you pull the cost to that's, everyone else? Uh, yeah, that's, you that's, described a socialist party. Uh, in a sense, that's it. You Somebody did. else, you know, other people's money. That's Bernie for yeah. How was your New Year's Eve? How was your Christmas? <laughs> had, it was New Year's Eve was my birthday. Is that true? That's true. That's true. So December thirty first or January one? December thirty first. People celebrate when it finishes. Oh wow. Which is kind of weird. All right. But yeah, I had a great time. Congratulations. Thank you, mate. Thank cheers. you very much. Um cheers to you. And cheers to Liam Fox, who's in China, the International Trade Secretary, where he's been pushing the UK as a great innovating nation. Bloomberg talked to him a little bit earlier about the uh, TPP partnership and whether the UK could be a part of it. Take a listen. Of course, TPP's not yet been negotiated or the successor to TPP has not yet been negotiated, so we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But of course, for the UK, we've said that as we leave the European Union, we want to create a genuinely global Britain. We want to look to the trading opportunities that exist in the parts of the global economy that are expanding fastest. The IMF says somewhere around 90% of global growth in the next 10 to 15 years will be outside the European continent. So we'll want to explore all the opportunities I would say that we would be foolish not to look at all the potential. But joining a deal like that would involve sort of dismantling almost a lot of the tariff apparatus that you've built up as an EU member. Is that something that would, you'd be okay with? Well, while we're not ruling anything out, uh, it's not something that's right at the top of our agenda at the present time. But again, I, I say that it would be quite wrong for us to rule anything out in terms of future relationships for the United Kingdom. What about uh, NAFTA on that note? Would, uh, are there any talks uh, or any sort of discussions about joining that deal? Well, of course, the priority there would be the maintenance of CETA, um, that the Canada has already agreed with the European Union, and we've said that we want to ensure that we get continuity of the EU's uh, trading agreements as we leave the EU. Uh, where the United States sits is that we already have uh, uh, working groups uh, with the United States on a whole range of, of issues, including scoping out a potential future trade agreement. So we're looking at all our options. Um, what you can say in the totality of that is that Britain is expanding and widening its global horizons. Some people took the view that our vote to leave the European Union was a vote for insularity. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. This is a genuinely outward-looking Britain that we're seeing emerging. 
from that referendum. But first on the agenda, um, and I know there are a lot of what-ifs in this situation, would be heading towards some sort of FTA with the US? Well, our priorities are to get our trading schedules uh, done in Geneva at the WTO, then to get continuity of the EU's free trade agreements. There are around 40 of those. We want to ensure we get continued access to places like uh, South Korea and Switzerland, uh, Canada, where the EU's got those trade agreements. Once we've done that, we can look at new free trade agreements because, remember, we're not allowed to negotiate new free trade agreements while we're still in the European Union. So we need to do a lot of uh, groundwork. We've got 14 trade working groups uh, with 21 countries at the present time uh, as we look to see how we can improve our trading position. And actually, whether Britain had stayed in the European Union or not, we had to improve our trading position because as a proportion of our GDP, we're well behind countries like Germany, for example, in terms of our exporting performance. So one of the aims of my department has been to help boost that trade uh, in exporting performance for the UK. Last year, we saw that rise by about 13%, which was a great performance in terms of, uh, of global trends. So we need to ensure that continues. That was the International Trade Secretary, Liam Fox, speaking to Bloomberg a little bit earlier on. Next up on a programme, we'll discuss Europe's new MIFID 2 rules as they land on a sleepy Wednesday in January. And we'll be catching up with Bloomberg's Cameron Kreiss on all things West Ham. Yes, really, West Ham. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. A big game in the capital last night. West Ham, West Brom. It was a relegation battle, a six-pointer as they call it. West Ham went 1-0 down, then equalised through Andy Carroll in the 59th minute. And then in four minutes of stoppage time, 90 minutes plus four, this happened. Arnautovic, Hernandez, I can feel how Cameron Christ must be feeling sitting at home with goosebumps. Cameron Christ, macro strategist at Bloomberg and resident West Ham fan, the only one at Bloomberg HQ in New York. Are you a happy man, Cameron? Oh, mate, it's champagne football. Did, did, you, like watch watching... the, did you watch the game? Uh, I was at work, <laughs> as, you, as you well know. And I, I, would, I would be remiss if I were to spend my working hours watching pirate video of, of the Mighty Hammers. Uh, I know so you I did. didn't. I, I, I didn't, actually, but I was following it very closely via the modern equivalent of teletext. Uh, you know the uh, the BBC online scroll mumble, yep. and you can follow it. You know Twitter as well. You can get you know sort of play by play. A couple so, of London derbies of, coming up now: Arsenal, Chelsea today. Um, I believe you play Spurs tomorrow. We play Spurs uh, at Wembley tomorrow. So it was uh, what you 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 know you would probably say is likely going to be a, a loss uh, if we're going to be realistic here. So that made the West Brom match all the more, uh, you know, all the more important. So it was, by all accounts, they didn't play particularly well. But it, listen, at the end of the day, when you're when you're 19th in the table as West Ham were to start the 
get the star of the match, it's the result that matters. And so, that's um, what they got. so my producer says congratulations, and she also says you can't spend the rest of the show talking about football. Um, so unfortunately, we need to talk about Mifid 2. So Mifid 2, two yeah. Mifid 2 and the seismic shift in regulation lands in Europe and people go to the equity board and they say, well, volumes look a little light. Volumes are a couple of percent lower than they would be against the 30-day average. Is it Mifid's fault? And I looked at the, uh, the calendar and I said, no, it's called January 3rd, a Wednesday, and there's many people still on a ski slope. Would you blame lighter volume on Mifid 2, Cameron? No, I, I looked at this this morning, actually. In the equivalent day last year, the volume in the stock 600 was a broad measure of European equities, was 2.52 billion shares. Um, today, it's ended up a little over 2.8 billion shares. So in fact, on a year-on-year basis, the first Wednesday, first trading Wednesday of the year, we're actually higher volume today in 2018 than we were in 2017. So, uh, so, I don't think so what changes blame. with MIFID 2, Cameron? What do I need to be looking for? Oh, mate, it's, I mean, where do you start? Um, there's all sorts, there's all sorts of reporting requirements now. So when you do a trade, you've got to report it straight away, um, which, you know, frankly, people should be doing anyway. But now there are very stringent time limits. The one that's gotten a lot of attention is the need to split out uh, research from trading, yeah. of course. So... Um, all the all the sell side providers in the bank now have to explicitly charge for the research they, that they provide, um, and then separately charge, obviously, for the trading and execution services. On um, you know, the theory being that fund managers uh, who are fiduciaries for the the the, the clients that they, on whose behalf they invest yeah. will choose their execution provider on the on the basis of best execution, best price of execution, rather than, uh, you know, the, the analyst geezer told me, gave me a hot tip. So it sounds like we should just talk about Chelsea Arsenal instead, which <laughs> yeah. is um, a little bit later today. Cameron Cross, great to have you with me, sticking with me. Next up on the programme, we take a look at German unemployment as that falls to an all-time low. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. This is The Cable on Bloomberg Radio live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. Cameron Christ with me today, macro strategist for Bloomberg. Cameron, how long before we start thinking about a change at the top at the ECB? It still feels a little premature to me. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's probably right. You've seen some um, suggestion that various candidates are uh, starting to position themselves. Obviously, uh, Weidman from the from the uh, Bundesbank being um, paramount among them. Um, but there's you know it's a political appointment ultimately, and yeah. there's, there's there's a lot of horse trading that goes on under the surface. Well, Cameron, is it um, anyone's interest at this point to have Jens Weidmann in a headline drop across the Bloomberg to freak out a load of traders and investors and push up the borrowing costs of Spain, Italy, and elsewhere? 
Yeah, well, that's the, you know, as you sort of alluded to before the break, there's, uh, I mean, Europe is generally doing quite well, but Germany in particular is doing exceptionally well with post-unification lows in on the unemployment rate. And if you listen to the ECB press conferences in their entirety, there's always it's always pretty amusing because there's at least two or three Germanic journalists. Usually you know, at the speaking. end. Yeah, usually at the end, uh, I won't even bother to try to imitate a German speaking English. Don't do it. Play safe. I'll just say it in my normal accent. You know, basically saying, how long can you justify the, you know, these absurd policies, the negative interest rates? Aren't you punishing savers? Yeah. Basically, when will you give us some some interest income? When will you when will you hike rates? So that I think speaks to the mentality within Germany. Um, Now the Germans have obviously over many, many decades have favored, broadly speaking, hard money type policy as a sort of psychological uh, remnant of the, the, Weimar, the Weimar years. But now that they are sort of, you know, kicking everyone's rear end and taking names, uh, it, it makes negative interest rates look all the more inappropriate. Uh, for uh, for the level of, of economic activity in Germany, even if inflation hasn't really sort of taken off and gone to the races quite yet. Well, Cameron, there's so much going on at the moment. Commodities are on, on a bit of a tear over the last couple of weeks. Crude's north of $60, 67 on Brent, 61 on WTI. Growth solid, unemployment's low. Yeah, we've still got this really strange dynamic in the bond market where a 10-year treasury is sat for 2.5% and 10-year bond yields are 44 basis points. At some point, at some point, you've got to get this realignment between yields and just economic fundamentals, haven't you? Uh, you would you would think so. Uh, I mean, certainly, I, in the case of the U.S. market, it seems safe to say that there's two different dynamics at work. Speculators have tried to be short the bond market for a few months now with some moderate success, but certainly not outrageous. But if you look at certainly futures positioning in the U.S., it's pretty large relative to history, not quite at all time short levels, but still reasonably, reasonably short if you look across the curve. On the other hand, you still have this idea of sort of, if you will, a global, you know, a savings glut. Uh, foreign central banks came back uh, and bought treasuries for the first time in a few years in 2017. Uh, there's still a pension shortfall, uh, funding shortfall in the U.S., such that uh, there's a sort of a, if you will, a quasi-permanent demand for for long-dated paper uh, from pensions, similar to yeah. what you've seen in in Europe and the UK. In fairness, uh, so so that sort of, I guess, partially explains why yields are so low. And I think also the Fed's own guidance. We need to we need to put that into context. Um, a few years ago, they were suggesting that the long-term Fed funds rate would be four or four and a half percent. Well, now they're saying it's going to be two and three quarter percent. So why should long-term bond yields be that much higher than uh, the Fed's own estimate of where the the policy rate is going to be over you know in, in the in the fullness of time? And then when you build in a risk premium uh, in case things go wrong, and let's face it, over the last decade when things have gone wrong, it's because 
growth and inflation has, has fallen short of expectations, not that they've exceeded expectations, you can kind of just about get to, to bond yields where they are with a sort of rational explanation. But the thing is, if you do see the perceived balance of risk shift to the upside legitimately, both in the private sector and the public sector, that's when expectations ratchet higher and people say, well, they might go well above 275 uh, in this cycle. And if the policy rates can end up at three and a half or four percent, well, then obviously it makes no sense to own 10-year yield, 10-year treasuries at at two and a half percent. If you think that the policy rate ends at two and a half percent or two and a quarter percent or two percent, then that makes a lot more sense. So really, we need those expectations to calibrate higher. Before we let you go, and I know you're only working from home today so you can watch Chelsea Arsenal, um, before that kicks off in a couple of hours, can you tell me about what you wrote today about inflation and the volatility of inflation data and how important that might be this year? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it actually feeds into the question you asked me uh, a while ago. Um, was it? Yeah, I, well, I, time has no meaning with you, John. Uh, I've, I've been asked a few times, "Hey, what's the, you know, what's the best way to play for higher inflation?" And I yeah. ran some numbers, uh, you know, and it turns out that you don't really get much of a um, much of a correlation between realized equity vol and changes in inflation because inflation is a bit Goldilocks. If it runs too hot, then you get equity vol. If it runs too low, like during a recession, uh, you also get equity vol. Um, but what you do see is a pretty decent correlation between the volatility of inflation and, and equity vol. And I think the theory here is that central banks target price stability a volatile change uh, in inflation yeah. is sort of the antithesis of price stability, which is suggestive of policy error. When you get policy error, then you get equity volatility. Cameron Christ, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. You're so much better when Have you're at home. Macro strategist <laughs> for Bloomberg. Great to catch up with you, mate. Well done with the result last night, and I'm sure you are going to be watching. Chelsea Arsenal from New York. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5.30 in a freezing New York. It is 12.30. I cannot begin to tell you how cold it is. Like negative 10 For Americans, that's like 10 or 20, but you don't need to worry about that. It's negative 10. It's 10 below freezing. It's been that cold, and it's set to get colder. And I understand we're going to have a snow bomb come. We're going to talk about that in a moment. In the markets, gains across the board in Europe. No red to be seen. The FTSE up a third of 1%. The DAX up eight tenths. In the United States, record highs across the board. Up 13 on the S&P 500. Up another half of 1% and north of 2,700 for the first time ever potentially at the close. The Dow up by two-tenths of 1%. In the FX market, the dollar finds a bid. Wow, it has been a while. Euro dollar up for five straight sessions. We snap that winning streak for the euro and pair those gains back by a quarter of 1%. Still north of 120, though, at 120.28. We're lower by a quarter of 1%. In the bond market, treasuries look a little something like this as we approach the Fed minutes in about an hour and 30 minutes' time. Yields come in by two or three basis points to 2.44% on a 10-year. The two-year note yield 
at 1.91%. And a rally in the commodity market continues. Crude up at 1.5%. We're up almost the dollar to 67.55 on Brent. And WTI is 61.38. A lot of news to whip through. It's great to have Charlie Pellet back with us. Charlie, great, thank you. Great thank to you. have it's you good back. good to be with you. All right. I've missed you. Whip let, through it. I know. Let me begin with the weather because in the United States, as you alluded to, severe cold right now. In Europe, of course, dealing with winter storm Eleanor. However, there could be implications for travelers between Europe and the United States. Major storm forecast for the East Coast on Thursday. Perhaps best to check your airline if you are planning to fly to the United States. <coughs> Cities including Boston, uh, New York, Washington, D.C. all going to be potentially hit by this big snowstorm. Not just the snow, but also powerful winds as well. More misery in store for the United States. Uh, it's a so-called snow bomb that's expected to race up the eastern seaboard tomorrow. Boston, by the way, could get up to 11 inches of snow. American manufacturing wrapping up its best year since 2004, according to the ISM index. Manufacturing expanding in December at the fastest pace in three months. Forget all the economic news. Forget the frigid weather. Americans are focused on Mega Millions and Powerball. Our lotteries slowly creeping towards a combined billion dollars. No one won last night's Mega Millions drawing. That jackpot now at 418 million, oh. fourth highest ever. Tonight's Powerball, 460 million dollars. Jonathan Farrow, you win. What do you do? I don't know. I, I think I keep, I keep the radio show. I think I keep <laughs> the radio show, and I cut a deal with management to slash the salary. Or keep the salary the same and tell them that it can all go to charity. I'd carry on working for an hour a day. It would be up to them whether I had the radio show or had the TV show, but all they're getting is an hour out of me just to keep me kind of busy. Then I'd distribute some cash to all of you guys just to keep you happy um, because I'd still want someone to come on the show and not be envious and annoyed with the fact that I don't really have to work. Um, I, I do remember a time sitting in a class with my friend years and years ago, literally I think about 20 years ago, and saying to him, wouldn't it be great if you had a million dollars in cash because you could just live off the interest? And at the time, that would have been £50,000 outside of London, £50,000, 5% interest rate. Now, you know, Luke and I were just quickly doing the very simple math. Now, in the UK, you would probably get about five grand, 5000 <laughs> instead of 50000 Can you imagine that? £5,000 interest on a million well, then, then don't put it in a bank. Find other solutions, find other investment opportunities, and you'll well, get thanks, more money. Well, thanks that's for simple. the advice, Charlie. Uh, yeah, that's called yeah, financial repression. That's one way to look at it. I'm, I'm giving it what all away. What would you away. do? You give I, it all away? I'd give it all away, and not a dime to you, and I'll tell you why. Why? Go on. Because what I would do is I would invest it to create a never-ending stream of money that would be good. That would be done to, so to perform give, good deeds. So would you give me a salary? No, nah, I wouldn't give you a, I wouldn't give you you a penny. I'm not giving it. Because if I give it to you, i got to give it to Luke. i got to give it to Mike Regan. So I, I, I got to give it to Caroline, the producer. How much would you keep for you? Uh, zero. I, I got zero. a good life. Uh, you I, would give away four hundred and fifty million dollars. Nine hundred if I hit both. And keep in mind that the, the odds of that are point. I think there's like ten zeros before you get okay. to a one one in there. I mean, it's Char ridiculous. Charlie's out of the lottery pool from Char this day forward. Well, what, what do they say? A lottery is a tax on the mathematically challenged. Is that the way that? Uh, is, <laughs> they said idiots. But, uh, is, is, yeah. that, is that what it is? I mean, it's it it usually does hurt the the poorest of society. I, the, the I, I disagree. I disagree. I think that buck you spend 
for all the dreams and imagination it creates. So I don't know how it works in the United States. In the UK, they go, they use a lot of the money outside of the jackpot to, to lottery foundations, Correct. to charitable Correct. contributions. Right. Smoking to, cessation to, programs in yeah, Canada. To, yeah. to, Anti-gambling. To, to, com- yeah. to community <laughs> stuff. Um, they do that here, do they? Look, for two bucks a ticket or whatever it is, you know, if I get to have daydreams like that for 24 hours. I know hours, what you're like. You're the kind of guy to sport 10 tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike Regan is a 10 ticket man, aren't you? You're a 10 I usually get man. in on the pool. We had a, we used to, whenever it gets over, uh, it used to be, I think, a hundred million uh, guy here used to get a pool going, but he's now been promoted to management, doesn't do it anymore. We need someone oh, else. Maybe, maybe Luke could take Honestly, up that. that breaks. You yeah. should do that, Luke Cowell. How was the uh, the Greyhound back up to, to Canada for Christmas? The Greyhound 2 Canada was a little dicey. Uh, Greyhound coming back was nice, though. I, I got to sit next to some very svelte people. So how long, did, how, how long did that trip take? Um, trip trip back was pretty bad. It was a it was a thirteen hour thirteen hour bus ride. Oh. Yep, but uh, uh, but the trip back to New York then was we got a you know two and a half hour delay at the border. We left early, which is just the kiss of death. You know, something's got to go wrong after that. Two and a half hour delay at the border. A lot of people with visas, no visas, criminal records. And really, you know, is that yeah. what happened on that's, a bus? Yeah. That never <laughs> yeah. happens. That that sounds absolutely brutal, gents. Can we talk about the weather? How much longer, Charlie Pellet? Before the economists start revising their Q1 forecast lower because of the snow in the United States of America, it's bound to happen. Bound to happen. It happens like clockwork every, every year. Every year, every year. Yeah. bound to happen. Every year, Mike. Is anyone talking about it yet? From where you're standing, well, you know, I, I was actually talking about it with uh, Cameron Kreiss on our team yesterday, and I said, "Well, we haven't gotten the snow. I mean, they're calling this the snow bomb coming up, but I, I don't know. It looks like a few inches of snow in uh, New York." But I said to him, well, it, it, does just the absolute cold, does that have a chance to affect GDP? I don't think it does as much as, say, 30 degrees and two feet of snow. But I think you got to start thinking about it. I mean, you, I you look at I tell you, in New York over the weekend, literally, there was one day, and I've forgotten which one it was. It might have actually been Monday, New Year's Day, where it was so cold that morning that typically on a day off, I would go out and consume whether right. it was food or go around and look at the shops or whether it was have a drink, I sat there and said, no chance am I going anywhere, and I watched a movie. Well, let but, me tell you, it gets worse because that day that you're referring to, yes, it was cold on the thermometer, but it wasn't windy. When you get the combination of wind and cold, that's when you just want to stay home and get the movie yeah, and do nothing. and Luke Cowell's Canadian. He's thinking, what are you guys <laughs> on about? No, what I'm are you, uh, not, not temperature, man up. Also a bad Canadian. Are you a bad Canadian too I can't, much? Uh, I can't deal with the cold. Can't deal with the cold. But I've, uh, I remember hearing that just for construction purposes, the cold weather enough would be enough to kneecap you. However, the, the hospital construction that's going outside my bedroom window would be uh, <laughs> an anecdote to the contrary. But when I look at this and, you know, we look at the cold and then you look at the extra money you're spending on heating. Right. Yeah. We look at the True. very low U.S. personal savings rate and you've got to think that this is going to come out of discretionary spending in the months to come. So this is a great excuse right now when we've got the U.S. economic surprise index at, you know, a high. This is a great excuse to start revising down Q1. The weather, it's, yeah. it's perfect time. Perfect timing. And lovely winter weather for Canadians not called Luke Cowell. <laughs> um, Charlie Pellet, thank you, sir. I know you've got to run up. Thank you very much. Mike Regan sticking with me alongside Luke Cowell. Next up on the program, we're going to keep it in the United States and we're going to discuss US auto sales. That's next. This is The Cable. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. 
Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the city of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 540 in the city. The store in the United States, U.S. auto sales coming throughout the morning. It was the first year U.S. auto sales actually fell since the recession. Ford ended 2017 on a high note. Ford deliveries unexpectedly rose 1.3% in December. But GM, their sales fell just less than expected. And Fiat Chrysler was down 11% in line with estimates. Sales at Nissan and Honda were worse than expected. Uh, Mike Regan, talk to me about auto sales today. Well, to me, what stands out is uh, this booming market for pickup trucks. And I think it jibes a little bit with a lot of the macro data we're seeing. Uh, you know, strong housing construction market sort of a strong, uh, you know, economy from that sort of blue collar, uh, hard hat perspective. Yeah. You know, and, you know, when you're a, a guy in the trades and you buy a pickup truck, you know, it's it's an upgrade. You're now a one man business in, in the States. You know, it, uh, you're not working for, for the man anymore. You got, yeah. you got your own truck, you, you got your own business. So I think it, it you know, that element of it is is sort of bullish on the economy and it jives with the other stuff we're thinking. I think the headline number are all cars in, all total. I mean, clearly the auto market was a little oversupplied there uh, when interest rates were so low for so long. It's just everyone was buying cars. And that that's really caused the resale value of cars to go down. So people are buying uh, relatively new cars used now as opposed to buying new. And I think that's that's impacting the, the headline number. So uh, I um, I spoke to the, the president of Aldi for, for North America earlier on Bloomberg TV. And I said to him, typically, if I'd asked an economist, what does the tax bill mean for auto sales? They would say, well, on the one hand, this, and on one hand, that. I, was, I just said to him, what does it mean for premium auto sales, better or worse? And he said, and probably spot on, worried about sales somewhat in the tri-state area and in California, Worried to the extent that he's now going to see pretty much flat growth there. And where he's seeing most of the growth right now, gains of like over 20% year on year, Austin, Houston, Texas. Yeah. And it's the south. It's the south of the U.S. where he is actually seeing the greatest gains. And I wonder whether the next couple of years, Luke, with this tax bill, that we're going to start to see a bit of a divergence in, in U.S. growth and a lot more towards the Republican south and maybe a little less growth in the tri-state area the northeast of the country and and the west coast as well. Yeah, it's it's amazing because it's also where you know auto production has migrated away away from the north, away from the Midwest. And, yes, interesting. And down south. So, so uh, I mean, it really has followed that. And I think Jared Dillon on uh, Bloomberg View did have a a good piece recently, kind of arguing exactly that that Houston is going to become you know the the new New York City. I think that might be a uh, you know kind of bridge too far. But you do see, when you see a headline like Ford with its best year for F-Series trucks in over a decade, this is, by and large, this is red state voters. Yeah, and typically we'd associate this with a rebound in, say, crude. But this isn't about oil. This is about something else. No, this is I mean, this is clearly about where the where the activity in the U.S. is moving, where, is, where the impetus is act, of activity is moving. And that's been increasingly going to more the south, the southeast. And I think that's a trend you can safely expect to continue and is reinforced by a lower dollar. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I was reading a strategy note from uh, Dennis D. Boucher at uh, Evercore ISI uh, not long ago. And he said he, he was talking to a lot of clients at, at some dinner they had uh, or lunch or something. And he said the main theme of a lot of the, his clients is this emigration out of the Democratic coastal states 
into the Republican states. I mean, it seems it seems kind of like a stretch to me that this tax bill will be enough to cause a sort of a, a, a mass migration. But I think on the margins, it, it certainly could happen. Yeah. The other thing about the southern auto sales and especially the truck sales, I mean, Texas is still rebuilding after the hurricane. It was something uh, I mentioned to him. Yeah. So, so there's still some of that going on. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm kind of skeptical of this notion that people will migrate in mass out of the Democratic states. Um, but we'll see. Uh, stranger things have happened. Michael Regan, senior editor and league blogger for Markets Live, and Luke Cower, cross asset reporter at Bloomberg News, sticking with me. Next up on a program, the day ahead, the week ahead as well, as we count you down to those Fed minutes that come out in about an hour and fifteen from New York for the City of London. This is the Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. This is The Cable on Bloomberg Radio, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.48 in the city. Some highlights for your day ahead in about an hour. In 12 minutes' time, the Federal Reserve will release its latest minutes from the December meeting. Tomorrow, we get the EIA crude oil inventory report. Look out for that. Crude really has been pushing higher, much higher over the last couple of days. We're north of 67 on Brent now, north of 61 on WTI. Then on Friday, we round out the week. We conclude the week with payrolls Friday, looking for the U.S. jobs report to come in for the month of December. Just to bring you some of the estimates for the payrolls report, 190 is the median estimate at Bloomberg from a previous read of 228. Unemployment, 4.1% is the estimate and the previous number as well. And year-on-year earnings growth set to come in at 2.5% in line with the previous month. And month-on-month, that's 0.3, a slight improvement on the previous month of 0.2. We get the appetizer for the payrolls report tomorrow with the ADP report, which is also looking for 190, which would be in line with the 190 number from a uh, previous month. So, Luke Cowan, get me set up for the Fed minutes to come out in about an hour and 11 minutes' time. Our good friend Matt Bosler at Bloomberg counted the amount of times that Janet Yellen and co. mentioned inflation in the latest minutes. I'm going to find the story and bring you the number if I possibly can. And the number climbed to... 84. 84. 84. Thanks for that, Luke. Um, the most ever, I understand, mentions yes. of inflation. Why do we care? Uh, I, I think we care for some reasons, and for other reasons we should be very careful about reading too much into this. I think we care because of the two members who dissented, uh, Charlie Evans and Neil Kashkari, both you know, the very common thread running between them was inflation's too low, inflation's too low, our hikes are going to make sure it's kept low, and we're worried about inflation expectations slipping low, which could be self-reinforcing. So I think you worry, even though they're transitioning off, I think these minutes will show whether like this full court press that these guys have put on to try and get other people to care more about what they seemingly care more about than anyone else is having any effect. I doubt that it will. And I think we like to like not personalize monetary policy, but let's just look at the people who are setting it this year compared to the ones who are setting it last year. I love There's to a more hawkish. Bet. I love to po- personalize. It's, it's a lot easier policy. than learning our star. Is you know learning what has this person said? Are they more concerned about financial stability? It's a lot easier than learning about economics and getting an advanced degree. It's just listen to these folks and what they say. Michael. <laughs> Well, we had an interesting post on the blog earlier about this. Uh, looking at the last eight times the minutes have come out, uh, in general, the, the reaction is almost always a dovish reaction. The dollar's fallen on uh, six of the last eight times. 
the S&P's gained an average of about 0.2%. The 10-year yeah. yield's fallen about three basis it's, points. It's almost been – the minutes, I think, have been a platform – for the doves right. in a way that the minutes used to be a platform for the hawks. And what I mean by that is when the Federal Reserve was consistently on hold and they would put out a dovish statement, the minutes re- were really the space, the real estate for the hawks to assert themselves. And now I think we're in this environment where the Federal Reserve is gradually hiking interest rates that the minutes have now become the platform for the doves. That little space at the bottom of the statement where it says Neil Kashkari dissents because one line, Charles Evans dissents because one line. Those guys want like paragraphs <laughs> and several of them and they don't get them on the statement. Where they do get them is in the minutes. Right. And it's in the minutes and that's when others can actually say they become part of the several. That they're concerned but they're not going to voice that in a formal dissent on the statement. So I think that's why we get this kind of dovish tilt to the minutes lately, Mike, le- lately. and I think that would make sense at least from where I'm standing. Right. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I mean, again, the, the, what do these minutes really mean uh, with, with the new Fed coming in? Uh, it'd be surprising to see too much of a, a sharp reaction to them. But um, you know, getting back to the, uh, the employment data in a couple of days, uh, to me, that 2.5% average hourly earnings is is going to be interesting to watch. I mean, we saw this sort of flurry of companies at the end of the year announce uh, either one-time bonuses or, or wage hikes after the tax bill. I'm not sure how, uh, uh, maybe you know, Luke, how a uh, one-time bonus plays in the average hourly earnings. I, I don't know how that factors in, but, um, you know, it, could there be a little upside, upside surprise to that? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, but, I, you know... Going forward, I think that's the number everyone's going to be keying on if, if they haven't already is, you know, will we finally get this wage inflation uh, start to break out and, and what that means for the Fed? So um, any sort of hint at that from the minutes, I think people will be keying in on, you know, are, are there green shoots as far as wage inflation? Luke? I, I absolutely love looking at our average hourly earnings. And I think the Fed, in, uh, in an attempt to try and get out in front or anticipate whether, you know, any one move is just a one-off or the start of a trend, what they might really be looking more at is the flows data, flows into the labor force. It's been amazingly shocking how this late into a uh, an expansion, you're still drawing so many people from not in the labor force into employment. Once you start to see that trend slow and trickle down, you start to see, well, you know, basic supply and demand may reassert themselves. We don't have, you know, as much coming in. Employers are going to have to bid up labor as more people retire. And that should be a more fundamental trend uh, pushing up average hourly earnings in the months, years to come. To be clear, though, look, are you seeing that flow of people coming from outside the labor force back in? Are you seeing it slow to any extent? um, Not to any extent. And we're now at, we've been setting records now for about six months in just to show how tight the labor market is. If you are coming back in, so of all the people coming into the labor force, some come in and they can't find a job. Some come in, they do find a job. You are more likely than you have ever been if you're coming in to be coming in straight into employment. Wow. It's that simple. It's it's that's if you want a job, you're getting one. I think but Luke, Giannis Milik's done. Does that does that spell out? So I, I raised the following question: We don't have much time. Is that a tight labor market, or one that actually shows that there's more spare capacity here? There's more slack because there's still people available to come into the workforce. Perfect distinction. We have a we have a tightening labor market, but this clearly right. is one of these metrics that says this is not full employment yet. Interesting.
Luke Cower, cross-asset reporter at Bloomberg News, and Michael Regan, senior editor and lead blogger for Markets Live. Gents, it's been great. Thank you. We'll leave everyone to get settled down for Chelsea Arsenal. It's like the only thing that matters. And then there's some Fed minutes, like 30 minutes before kickoff, I think. So um, you do what you think is right and pay attention to what you think you should pay attention to. For the City of London, this is The Cable. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. 